Hello besties, old and new, welcome back to another episode of Life Gets Weird with me, Mary. Just a fucking idiot from the internet. So today's episode is basically going to be my 2022 bops and flops as we are approaching the end of the year and this year has had quite a few bops, I'll be real with you. This month has been a bit tricky for me but I'm not going to dwell on it too much. Basically, I, you know, started my new medication and it's fucking with me, girly pops. It is fucking with me. I started venlafaxine and I already have a pre-existing heart condition. And one of the side effects of venlafaxine is heart palpitations. And so my body's kind of been crumbling on me, which is great. You know, it's like, do you want your body to work or do you want your brain to work? Pick a struggle, babe. But like I said, not going to dwell on that too much because this year has been fun. Um, And that's really weird to say because I don't know, I never really enjoy New Year's, I don't really like the concept of New Year's, um, I always cry on New Year's like I cry on my birthday, and not for good reasons, <laughs> um, but this year has had quite a few highs, and I feel very blessed to say that, but this episode is not about me, funnily enough, I know I'm a narcissist, as many people think, actually, do you know what, I'm not even going to say shit like that on the internet, because someone's going to like fucking crop that audio and be like, she said she was a narcissist, no, I'm fucking joking, I have a dry sense of humour and I'm British, okay, but yeah, this episode isn't really about me, it's about the bops and flops of film, TV, books, music, everything that came out this year, and so I know some people are always like to me, oh my god, please can you share your favourite podcasts with us? And I'm not really too sure why mine isn't enough, um, but I will. I'm joking. I'm sick of me too. So yes, I will share my favourite podcast to listen to because I am such a podcast girly. I always have been. I love a good podcast. But I do have to start by saying I read and watched Normal People. And if you follow me on TikTok or social media in any capacity, you probably know that I do not enjoy a Sally Rooney book. And this has seemed to cause a lot of sadness for some people. They're like, no, I thought you would love Sally Rooney. Um, The woman doesn't use quotation marks. And I can barely read as it is, you know, like I need a couple quotation marks in there. So I read Normal People because I really did want to see what the fascination with Paul Mezcal and Daisy Edgar Jones was. And I didn't want to watch the show without reading the book. And let me say, that book is fucking boring. But that TV show one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. Um, I literally finished the book, closed it, took a deep breath, pressed play on episode one, and did not sleep until 5am, because I was so engrossed in the lives of Marianne and Connell. And I get it. I understand the hype around Daisy Edgar-Jones and Paul Mezcal. They are fucking phenomenal. I completely understand Phoebe Bridges' tweet when she finished watching Normal People, and she was like, now I'm sad and horny, because bitch, me the fuck too. Like, when I started my new meds, my doctor was like, you might lose your sex drive. And then I watched Normal People and I was like, well, Becky, it's still there. Thank you. Um, Yeah, Normal People, the show, is amazing. It's, oh my god, it's everything I could have fucking dreamed of. I love Marianne so much. I relate to her on a multitude of levels. Connell's therapy scene, absolutely gorgeous. Like, there's just so much about that TV show that makes me wonder how the book was so bad. Because... I mean, Lenny Abrahamson directed it, and he also directed Room, which is another book adaptation or film adaptation, and both of those are so emotionally soul-destroying on a completely different level, so I wasn't surprised at all that the TV show was amazing, but yeah, Paul Mezcal and Daisy Edgar-Jones are fucking phenomenal in it. Um, 
it's weird saying that because I see them out quite a lot. I mean, I've been to both of Daisy Edgar Jones's most recent like film premiere things. I don't know um, at Ham Yard, which see actually, am I meant to disclose that information? I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, she had like two screenings, one for Fresh and one for Where the Crawdads Sing, um, and I was luckily invited to both. And she was there with Paul Mescal. And my only thought process at the time was, oh my God, these bitches know Phoebe Bridges. But now I'm like, oh my God, please let me be your best friend. Like, love, love, love. I spent all night yesterday watching their interviews. And it does really suck because, like, normal people came out during lockdown. And so most of their interviews, they're not together. It's like via Zoom. And I'm like, oh my God, no. Because their chemistry does seem amazing. And I know that they're, like, really good friends in real life. And so... Yeah, I would have loved to see more in-person interviews with the both of them. But, you know, that wasn't the worst part of COVID, so I'm not complaining. But yeah, let's get into the bops and flops of the year because I've watched a lot and I've read a lot and I've listened to a lot and I have a lot to say because I'm an opinionated motherfucker. So we'll start with films because, listen, I would not be the woman I am today if I did not start this by talking about Don't Worry Darling. And so I went to a press screening for Don't Worry Darling uh, for work. And literally, it was very last minute. I text my best friend. We work like two streets away from each other. Well, like two long streets away from each other. And I was like, Soph, come on, we have to go and see this tonight. And she doesn't really get signal at her work. So I was messaging her on LinkedIn, being like, please check your text. Like, I need to know if you can come. And I cancelled my workout class that I had for the same evening and we went to see Don't Worry Darling and we had very different opinions. She fucking loved it. I thought it was very mediocre at best. Um, But I think the thing about Don't Worry Darling is the drama that surrounded the show or the film. Um, I think that was more interesting than the actual film itself. The film itself was highly predictable. Okay, I didn't guess that it was like, I mean, I'm going to say no spoilers, but like, no fucking spoilers. The film came out ages ago. If you haven't watched it, it's not my fault. So I would have never guessed that like Harry Styles was an incel in the film and I was very taken aback by that. But the kind of secrecy of this double life and the way everything was like manufactured to keep most of the women out of the know, that was kind of predictable to me. Um, and I do think it's because Olivia Wilde's acting was so poor, but yeah, she kind of gave it away throughout the film. But Nick Kroll, Chris Pine, Harry Styles, Florence Pugh, I think they all gave incredible performances. And yeah, I mean, I don't think Olivia Wilde needed to be in it that much, especially if she's going to give it away. But talking of Harry Styles and this year's film releases, we will move on to My Policeman. Now, I went to watch this at the London Film Festival. I bought tickets as soon as they came out because I just knew that I wanted to fucking see this film. And especially after Don't Worry Darling, I was like, no, do you know what, Harry? I believe in you. Like, I believe that you you do have some talent in there. And Don't Worry Darling just didn't really let you explore that. You know, we didn't really get any emotional depth. Um, my favourite part of Don't Worry Darling is Harry Styles saying, Do you love me, Alish? I was like, babe, what was that accent? What in God's green earth was that? But in My Policeman, so, so amazing. Like, he really unlocked a new part of himself and gained so much more respect for me. Not that I didn't, like, absolutely love that man since I was maybe 11, but, like, I don't know, that film and 
the story is just so, so gorgeous. And he did such a good job portraying the emotional depth of it, as did Emma Corrin. And yeah, I, I loved My Policeman. I gave it five stars on Letterboxd. I thought it was absolutely amazing. I, yeah, I cried like a baby. Um, I did get really pissed off though, because I went to watch it at the London Film Festival, which meant that a lot of Harry Styles fans were there. A lot, like, younger fans were there. And they seemed to find it absolutely hilarious that he was sleeping with a man. And I was like, oh, babe, you have a lot to learn. Um, that wasn't really the film to be laughing at, so that kind of pissed me off. But yeah, My Policeman, five stars, one of the best films of the year. I loved it so much. And I think it's incredibly important. The message, unfortunately, still prevails. And yeah, I just, wow, it was, it was amazing. This year has had a lot of really good films. And I, after not being able to go to the cinema for nearly two years, it has been such a pleasure and like has brought me so much joy to just have the movie industry back and booming. And I really do hope that this has made a lot of people realise how dependent we are on the entertainment industry. And that's not just me saying like, oh, Harry Styles deserves a pay rise. That's me saying like directors, assistant directors, like everyone who's on set, people that work in craft, everything, like they deserve so much praise, so much love and so much money for what they do because it gets ordinary people like us through bad days and through life. And I think the film industry is amazing and they are not respected in the ways that they should be. I know quite a few people that work in the film industry and yeah, they definitely deserve a lot more than they get for what they give us. Next film is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, A24 don't do bad films. So I don't, you know, ever expect to go and see an A24, especially an A24 film in cinemas. I don't ever expect it to be bad. And I went to see everything everywhere all at once. And of course, it was amazing. It's such a unique film. And I think when I went to see it, I didn't really know what to expect. That's been something I've been doing a lot recently. I've been like going into films blind because I don't know, I think it's like really interesting to not know anything about the film when you go in because as someone who's a lover of musical theatre more often than not when I go and watch a musical whether it's on the West End or Broadway I have listened to the entire soundtrack back to back a million and one times I know every single lyric to the songs and though musicals will still surprise me regardless of whether or not I know all the lyrics it's nice to like not know anything at all so I went to see everything everywhere all at once. And basically it's a film that kind of gives you the message that there is so much more to the universe than what you expect. And so, yeah, it's basically about this Chinese family who are caught in, I don't even know, like a whirlwind where she can save what's important to her by connecting with the lives of the people who have done the same in different universes. Very confusing to explain, but it's an amazing film. I gave it four and a half stars and it just kept me captivated throughout. Even though it's not necessarily the genre that I would run to first, it was amazing. I understand completely why that film got the hype that it did. And also the cast of that film now are doing so many amazing things. It's like, it was a big breakthrough film for a lot of them. And that brings me so much joy because it's also not a film that is just in English. And I love when any sort of foreign language film receives that audience in 
you know, England or the US because we tend to be places that don't want to advertise that. And it's fucking awful because I say this every single time, but foreign language films are some of the best films I've ever seen. And yeah, that, oh my God, it was just, oh my God, it was gorgeous. Good for them. Good for A24. Such an amazing film. If you haven't seen it, please don't believe that it's overhyped because it deserved every single hype it got and go and watch it. Next, we'll do the two Marvel films that I went to see this year. So I went to see Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, I think the day before I flew to New York. Um, So I was very stressed. I was like finishing up with work and stuff like that. And Doctor Strange is my least favorite uh, franchise in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't know why. I just like don't give a shit about Doctor Strange. I know it's really... Okay. If you are over the age of 35, then you may be very offended by my next sentence, but I do not see the attraction to Benedict Cumberbatch. Like, you Cumberbitches, what is that about? Like, come on, he's he looks like every other bitch. Like, I just don't understand the attraction to Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, And so it's not like, you know... It's not like Thor, where I'm like, oh my god, Chris Hemsworth, take me. I'm just like, okay, it's just another Marvel film. But the original Doctor Strange, I'm like, god, it really doesn't do it for me. Every time I've tried to watch it, I've like fallen asleep somehow. And so, yeah, I just kind of gave up on that. I know I'm a fake Marvel fan, because I'm always like, yeah, I've watched every single movie in the MCU. But no, I haven't, because Doctor Strange always puts me to sleep. But I went to watch Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, and that was actually amazing. I took my dad with me who's never watched a Marvel film before. And even he was like, oh my God, that was sick. And I was like, yeah, it really was. Like, go the fuck off. Like, okay, that was kind of a serve. I didn't expect it. But I also think because it's so... Like, the difference between the Multiverse of Madness and then the original Doctor Strange is, like, the interconnectedness with the other films. And I feel like Multiverse of Madness was, like, so... I don't know. It was, like, not only love letter and like easter eggs and stuff to the other storylines but it was also so not focused on Doctor Strange that if you hadn't watched any of the MCU films you would be so fine so yeah I also went to watch Thor Love and Thunder and I was a bit disappointed by this because Thor is one of my favorite MCU films um I think Thor 2 is an amazing film I think it's directed beautifully it looks beautiful I love the storyline Thor Love and Thunder wasn't really doing it for me I yeah I don't really know what happened there um it had all the greats you know Natalie Portman was in it when I say all the greats that's exactly who I'm talking about but it was just kind of meh I was just like ah Thor like I expect so much better from a Thor film and that did not hit the mark you know, it did not hit the mark, but that's fine. Um, I will say, I remember when they announced the new wave of MCU films, um, they announced Thor, Love and Thunder, and I was speaking to my best friend at the time, and I was like, we have to go and see it, and then I did the math, and I was like, oh my god, I won't be in London, because it was meant to come out when I was going to be doing my year abroad, and yeah, now I dropped out and my best friend went to see it. So <laughs> I thought that was funny. The next film on my list is Elvis. And listen, I know we spent a chunk of this year thirsting over Austin Butler, but I think Elvis is so funny because he is still speaking like Elvis. Like Austin Butler still has the fucking Elvis voice. It's been months. Like Baz, Baz Luhrmann, we need a chat. Cause what did you fucking do to that kid? Like 
Elvis was amazing. It was so good. I love the score to that film. It's so good. Like Casey Musgraves, Doja Cat, like amazing, amazing, amazing. Such a good film. I mean, Baz Luhrmann directed Romeo and Juliet, Moulin Rouge, uh, The Great Gatsby. So wait, did he direct Moulin Rouge? I don't know. Fun fact about me, I've never actually watched Moulin Rouge. Um, yeah, he did do Moulin Rouge. Okay. And so, yeah, I don't expect a bad film from Baz Luhrmann, obviously. And Elvis was a fucking hit this year. Everyone loved it. It was amazing. Um, and yeah, there's actually not much else I can say about it. I mean, I'm a big Elvis fan. I love Elvis's music. Uh, not necessarily like a fan of him personally. I don't really care for his like life, you know, but I love his music. I grew up on Elvis. It's just like been the soundtrack to my childhood. And watching the film was very insightful. There was a lot of things I didn't know. And like him navigating that film, obviously it's not a documentary, but like Austin Butler's portrayal of Elvis in that film was so enlightening. And I was like, holy shit, like Elvis really is a legend for a reason. Um, and it gave me a lot more respect for him, even though he had most of my respect anyway, because I fucking love an Elvis song. But yeah, that was a great film of this year. And I'm kind of like wondering whether or not it will be nominated for an Academy Award. Because my thing is like, when a film comes out, I have to watch it immediately because I want to be the person that when the Academy Award nominations come out, I can make a judgment call and I can be like, that was wrong. That shouldn't have been, that should have been, blah, blah, blah. And so, especially this time of year, I find myself binge watching a lot of movies that I haven't seen that came out this year because yeah, when the Academy Award nominations come out, you will be hearing my opinions on that. And so... Yeah, I think Elvis should be, but I feel like there's this weird kind of mentality towards musical films in the Academy Award nominations, and that kind of pisses me off, but we will see. The next film was another A24 film, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. I loved this film so much. I really need to sit down with like the board of directors and the marketing team for A24 because their films are never really shown in mainstream cinemas. Like they're never shown in views or Odeons or anything like that. I always have to watch them at like the BFI or the Curzon or Everyman, which, you know, those cinemas aren't cheap. And I think that film should be something that is extremely accessible because it's a form of escapism. And it, I, I feel the same way about books. I hate that like books come out first in hardback and then they're like 30 pounds and it's like bitch I just want to cry like is it really that serious for you to be charging that much money but yeah I went to see bodies 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 at the BFI on the south bank and I went to see it the day before it came out I got an early screening and I was obsessed with it I was like oh my god this is so funny it's such a refreshing take on a whodunit film I've never watched a whodunit film like bodies 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 it has like a few jump scares, but it's ultimately a comedy. And Pete Davidson is amazing in it. I mean, I know that like Pete Davidson has really risen to fame or popularity at least because a lot of people know him because of his girlfriends. And I don't ever want that to be like his storyline. I'm acting like he's my fucking friend. I'm like, protect Pete Davidson at all costs. But like, he is a really talented guy and I loved him in The King of Staten Island. That was the film that I watched that made me like really love his comedy. Um, and so, yeah, he was in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies and I thought he was amazing in it. And yeah, the film is just hilarious. Like, I don't know how you can watch Bodies, Bodies, Bodies and not love it. I went to take my dad the day after it came out because I had gone to an early screening. So 
you know, it wasn't out in all cinemas yet. And then as soon as it was out, I was like, dad, you have to fucking watch this film. Obviously he didn't really understand what was going on. Um, and why I was so hyped about Pete Davidson, but he did find it hilarious after the film when I was like, oh, you know that guy? Um, he was dating Kim Kardashian. Well, at the time they were dating. And my dad was like, bitch, what? And I was like, babe, I have so much to teach you about Pete Davidson. Because <laughs> you will be shocked. But yeah, the film has Amanda Stenberg in it, who is also absolutely amazing. Rachel Senot has like become a legend from Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. I mean, she has the absolute best one-liners in there, and she's so funny. I think my, like, absolute favourite part of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is Rachel Senot's scene where basically B, who is Amanda Stenberg's love interest in the film, tells the group that her mum has borderline, and then <laughs> Rachel Senot's character, Alice, is like, oh my god, I'm so sorry, that's really serious, mental health is a really serious issue. I mean, I've never actually said this to anyone, but I have body dysmorphia. Like, just such an amazing actress, I was like, fuck me, like, she is funny. And then we have After Sun. And so, I started the beginning of this podcast talking about Paul Mezcal, and... I'll be real with you, my interest in Paul Mezcal only spiked after he bagged Phoebe Bridges, because I'm like, bitch, how did you do that? I need a lesson, I need a lecture, give me the degree. And so, After Sun came out, and I hadn't watched normal people at this point, and so I was like, okay, let me go and, let me go and watch this, and let me make my judgments on Paul Mezcal. And, damn, that film really did a number on me, like, I started crying in the back of the cinema. I went by myself, I love going to the cinema by myself. But yeah, that film is amazing, it's Charlotte Wells' film, and... I think it's meant to be, like, true to Charlotte Wells' life. I could be wrong on that, but I believe that's what the case is. After watching some interviews, I think that's what the situation is. But the film is basically, like, a father-daughter relationship, and it reflects mostly on... Well, not mostly. The whole film is basically a holiday they took together 20 years prior to the current date in the film. And so... Yeah, I mean, I think the end of the film is very open-ended and I do really like that about some films when you're kind of the one that has to make the decision of what happens. But to me, at least, how I interpreted it was this daughter was looking back on the videos they filmed on their holiday together and is like trying to fill the gaps between the dad that she thought she knew and who he actually was. And yeah, it just tugged on a lot of heartstrings. It was, it was really good. The next film I'm going to talk about is Nope. I honestly, like, when I watched this film, I was like, what the fuck did I just watch? And then I'm like, no, I know what I just watched. It was just very insane. I mean, it's a Jordan Peele film, so, you know, I don't expect it to ever be bad. It has Kiki Palmer in it, who is now pregnant. Congrats to the queen Kiki. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's horror in the best way horror can be. I love Jordan Peele's films because they are not jump scare films. They're not like heads rolling off bodies and blood going everywhere. It's very much psychological horror and you are the biggest like storyteller of what is causing you fear in those films. And you know, it's the same with Get Out and Us. Nope, it's just another one that Jordan Peele fucking nailed, and I really hope that it's not nominated for a comedy again like his previous films have been, because he is a master of horror. Then we'll talk about Fresh. So I went to watch Fresh, like I said, at a screening, a private screening at Ham Yard, and um, Sebastian Stan was not in attendance, but Daisy Edgar Jones was, uh, but Sebastian Stan gave like a little, I don't know, talk 
via Zoom. But it's a Disney Plus film. Or I, I believe that like everything that comes out on Hulu eventually comes out on Disney Plus. So let's say Hulu film. And yeah, it's kind of like a gory horror film that I didn't know what to expect. I had not looked into it. I know a lot of people had this film as like their highly anticipated films of the year, but I just didn't really know anything about it going in. Um, I just kind of said yes, because I love a movie screening. But it's a funny take on how dating in this current time period works and like dating apps and the whole process of going on dates that don't lead anywhere and the risk you take meeting strangers. And even if you meet someone in real life, they could still be a fucking weirdo. And yeah, it's it's funny to watch new horrors that are around social media and about dating and this new life that we've all created for ourselves. Because, you know, as we go into the future, we will look back on these things. And I'm assuming there will be progress on social media and progress on dating apps and how we go about interacting with everyone in our daily lives but it's funny to see at the current time period that it's happening the horrific takes on the comedy and horror of it all so yeah I definitely recommend obviously Daisy Edgar Jones is fucking phenomenal in it and Sebastian Stan is Sebastian Stan, so there's that. Then we have Do Revenge, which is a Netflix film that I did not expect to love so much. Um, It's very, very funny, first and foremost. I don't know, Netflix have kind of been flopping with their Netflix originals. I used to die hard for a Netflix original, and now it's like, okay, you know, you tried. Um, Let's put some more effort in next time. But Do Revenge was great. I mean, Definitely not five stars, but like I didn't regret watching it the way I do a lot of other Netflix originals. Um, so basically it's about like the private school lifestyle and someone who was once the queen bee is no longer the queen bee and she becomes friends with a new student and she doesn't really know what the intentions of said student are. And it becomes very clear at the end what the situation is. But it has Camilla Mendez and Maya Hawke playing two main characters and it has Alicia Bow in it you know it has all these big names which made me even more skeptical about it because I was like fuck this is just gonna be another thing where Netflix like throwing a bunch of great actresses and actors and then it's a shit storyline but it was so good and there's also a scene where two female love interests are making out to Silk Chiffon thank you thank you that is exactly why that song was made so very recently actually the menu came out with Anya Taylor-Joy. I always get her fucking name mixed up. Is it Anya Joy-Taylor or Anya Taylor-Joy? I will never know and I will never learn, but she is in it. (laughs) It's Anya Taylor-Joy. Okay. So yeah. And this film is basically about a couple who, I don't really fucking know what the situation is between them. Like they don't actually seem to really like each other that much. They go to this island where you can eat at this like very, very pretentious restaurant where the chef has like prepared all this extremely bougie food and the whole point is like to taste it and blah 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 and then it's just filled with like surprises the whole way through the film and basically what I took away from it is like kill the rich so like so true uh what a serve and yeah I really enjoyed it um it definitely wasn't a film that I would have probably seen myself like gone out of my way to book a ticket and go to see so very grateful that I got invited to the screening of that um but yeah great film like if you're into weird shit like go for it Talking of weird shit, fucking bones and all. 
the new Timothy Chalamet film with Taylor Russell. Let's fucking talk about that because I had no idea what that film was about going in. My One of my best friends is a big Timothy Chalamet stan. And so we were just out one day. She was like, do you want to go to the cinema and watch the new Timothy Chalamet film? And I was like, oh my God, yeah, I'm so down. Like, love to see films that I can make judgments on for the Academy Awards, like I said. And so we went to see this film and literally the ads stopped playing. The film was about to start and I turned to her and I was like, hey, by the way, like, what is this film about? She turns to me, straight face, cannibalism. Bitch, what? Get me out of the cinema immediately. I was like, I'm so sorry. Why, why would she take me to watch a film about cannibalism and not tell me that? Like, that should have been your starting sentence. You should have led with that. Cannibalism. Bitch, I will scream. And yeah, it was, it was that exactly. I mean, it does not beat around the bush here. And my takeaway from the film was, wow, Timothy Chalamet misses Army Hammer that much. He just said, yep, let's do a fucking film about cannibalism. I don't know, man. I think that film is so fucked up. It's so, like, cinematically beautiful. But I can't watch shit like that. Like, I literally, I didn't even finish my popcorn. I was like, oh, I paid all this money for my popcorn. I can't even finish it because you decided to chew someone's fucking finger off within the first five minutes of the film. What? No. 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 Did not like. I mean, I'm not even a big Timothy Chalamet fan, to be honest. So, like, you know, no loss to me. But what the fuck? Next film is The Triangle of Sadness. This is another film where I'm like, I don't really know what the fuck was going on here. I took away from that film that it's basically about, like, in a world without class structures, the working class seem to prevail. And I think that has a lot to do with, like, work ethic and, like, the fact that the working class do have to struggle more just to get to a similar level as those of higher classes. And I think that's a really interesting way to portray it because it's basically just the uber-wealthy are on a cruise ship and then it goes tits up and it's the cleaner who manages to save the day and yeah I mean I can't even give you a full analysis of it because I don't even know what fucking happened but go and watch it like it's great it's a very long film though so if you're not into long films maybe don't watch it but I think it's worth the watch I just don't really know what the fuck I was watching okay this next film is probably in my top three films of the year decision to leave this film is fucking amazing, okay? It's another foreign language film and it is so unique. It's not what you expect it to be at all. And I love a film that can completely change the narrative into something so beautiful and so profound. And oh my God, I just adored that film. So it's basically about a detective who is investigating uh, the death of a guy, basically who was going climbing and fell off the top of a mountain. Um, that's not me spoiling, like, that's literally the first fucking second of the film. And within this investigation, he basically has an emotional affair with the person he's investigating. And it's just, like, the best love story I've ever seen. And it's so weird to say that, because it's not sold as a romance film or a love story but it is the best love film I've ever seen and I loved it so so much I'm so happy I went to watch it it was amazing the next film that was like another big film in cinemas recently was See How They Run which is basically a film about Agatha Christie's Mousetrap which is a show that's on in London and I just thought this film was so fucking boring like do not recommend at all it was so boring. It's a whodunit, but it's like, I hate when the whodunit films have the narrator like talking to you and the narrator is so annoying and obnoxious. And like I said, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies was such a unique take on a whodunit film. But I feel like if we're going to be doing whodunit films, then it should be like Knives Out. Like Knives Out is one of my absolute favorite 
whodunit films. Actually, it is my favourite whodunit film. I think it's so unique and so fun and so, like, traditional, but a really nice modern take on the whodunit idea. See How They Run was shit. Like, sorry, I'm not going to be around the bush with that one. Like, See How They Run was absolutely shit. And I was like, Saoirse Ronan, babe, like, I know you can do better than this. So let's not take that role next time. And let's give me more Ladybird. The next film I want to talk about is Not Okay, which was on Disney+. Plus. So like I said, I assume it was also on Hulu. And it's about social media and the impact it has and like influencer culture and how fucked up a lot of people can be with that level of attention and eyes on them. And I mean, it's a very uncomfortable film, actually, but I do think it's a film that I would tell people to watch. It's definitely not something I'd be like, don't waste your time with it. But it's basically about a young woman who is portrayed by Zoe Dutch, who is so desperate for fame that she basically lies about being in a terrorist attack in Paris because she initially told everyone she was going to Paris and then she just like sat in her bedroom. But then during the time span that she was meant to be in Paris, there was a terrorist attack. So she then has to come up with a lie about where she was and if she was affected, blah, blah, blah. And she gains all this clout and attention because of that. And in turn has to follow through with the lie. So has to go to like trauma meetings and therapy. And she makes friends with another character who is a big advocate for the abolition of guns. And to me, that film is more about the fact that white lies are louder than black pain. And that was my takeaway from it, especially as a person of colour. And I just think it's like very interesting. I don't think that you should watch that film and like your only takeaway be how hot Dylan O'Brien is because he's also in the film. And obviously he's a fucking stud, like love him. Like he's so attractive, but that's not what the film is about. Like Mia Isaac gives an amazing performance as a anti-guns advocate. And I think that should be the biggest message you take away from the film, not the fact that like Zoe Dutch and Dylan O'Brien were hooking up because their hookup scenes are actually quite uncomfortable to be fair. So yeah. Okay, next film is a film that I immediately knew I would love even before I watched it. And it's because it's directed by Cooper Rife, who is one of my absolute favorite directors ever, ever, ever. I've spoken about his other film, Shit House, a million times because I think his films are so raw and so relatable and he can do coming of age for any age. Like it's it's truly a skill. I love him. Um, and so Cha Cha Real Smooth is starring Dakota Johnson and it was, um, I think it debuted on Apple TV, which is where I watched it. And the film basically like follows Cooper Rive um, and his character is straight out of college and stuck at home without like a clear path for where his life is going to go. And so he ends up working at parties and he's like a party starter, which I do believe is just like Amer- an American occupation because like I don't fucking know anyone in the UK who is a party starter, but that's his job. And he he starts his friendship with a mother that he meets there and he becomes really close with the mother and her daughter. And the mother is played by Dakota Johnson and they they just form this really, really unique relationship. And you can tell that he is like head over heels in love with her, but she just isn't ready to sacrifice the stability of her life for love. 
and she's really depressed and oh I don't know they just have like really amazing emotional conversations and I don't know that film is is so special Cooper Rife is so special and I truly cannot wait to see him blow up in the world of film because I don't know I I think it's very rare that I can say that there is a director who makes me feel heard and seen consistently and Cooper Rife does exactly that so yeah, I recommend Cha Cha Real Smooth. And even though Shit House didn't come out in 2022, if you haven't watched it, please watch it. Like it's it's gorgeous. It's amazing. If I haven't bored you with my film talk thus far, thanks so much. Because don't worry, guys, we are nearly done with the films. We just have a few more left. Next up, we have The Good Nurse, which is a Netflix film with Jessica Chastain and Eddie Redmayne, which is basically about the real story of events about a nurse who was killing their patients. And I always find that anytime a film or a TV show is based on real events, it makes it so much sadder. And they both give incredible performances. Um, so yeah, like I said with the Netflix thing, recently they've been doing shitty films and shitty originals, but that is definitely one of them that's worth the watch. Then we have Disenchanted, the sequel from Enchanted, which was like the film of my childhood. And I'll be real with you, I don't think the sequel was necessary. I, yeah, I don't know. I didn't love it. I did watch it like high as a kite, but like that should have actually made it better. But I don't know. Like I love Amy Adams. I do. And I love Enchanted, but I just don't think we needed a second one. Like no one was asking for it. It's been so long now that like no one cares. Like it's so fine to not have a sequel to a film. Um, but yeah, that was my reaction to that. And then the last three are Persuasion, which is another Netflix film with Dakota Johnson in it. Absolutely awful, but the cast are fucking attractive. So yeah, I liked it because of that. Luckiest Girl Alive with Mila Kunis is heartbreaking. Another Netflix film. Um, I will say trigger warning. It does focus on sexual assault and rape. And so if you're not in a position where you can like watch things like that or hear that, then don't watch that film. Even if it like has Mila Kunis and you love her, like it's definitely a lot to take. Um, But the film is so raw and it's really refreshing to see Mila Kunis in something that isn't a comedy. Because as much as I love like Bad Mums and Friends with Benefits and like all the funny films she's done, she is such a good actress. Like, if you've seen her in Black Swan, you know she's such a good actress. And I feel like she hasn't really been given a serious script in a while. So it was really nice to see her in that. And she obviously blew me away. Like, she's amazing. Um, So that was really nice to see. And then the last film is The School for Good and Evil. It has Sophia and Caruso in it, which, like, I just loved. Because I saw her in Beetlejuice on Broadway. And her character in The School for Good and Evil is also very similar. Um, But it's just... I don't know. It's just a nice film to watch. It's nothing groundbreaking. It's just, you know, when you just like, kind of want something to let your brain be mush, but you don't want to watch reality TV, I'd say watch The School for Good and Evil. Okay, our next category is TV shows and streaming shows. And I just have to talk about this because I watched this so recently and I haven't spoken about it on my podcast. I have spoken about it on TikTok and Instagram because like, absolutely love them. So, you know, if you're not following me on TikTok or Instagram, my TikTok is Leader, and my Instagram is Mary Stephen with two N's because I fucked up the original account with just one N. Anyway, not the point. Tell Me Lies is a Hulu original, which is based on a book. I haven't read the book. I know I'm the worst. I am going to read the book because there's a new season coming out. So I assume that the first season didn't cover the full book. So yeah, I will read the book. 
Um, but Tell Me Lies is okay. I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say it. it's the best TV show I've watched this year. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is. It's so good. It basically follows the two characters, or the two main characters, Lucy Albright and Stephen DeMarco, who are in the most toxic, addictive, manipulative relationship ever. And they're like cheating on each other, but they do truly love each other. It's so fucking weird. And it spans over the course of eight years, I believe, and starts in 2007. And the final episode is present day, which is eight years later. And guys, I can't even explain it. Like, Everyone in the in the storyline is like fucking crazy. Basically, they all have lies that are revealed in every episode. But the ending of season one is the biggest shock, cliffhanger, jump scare. I don't even know what the correct adjective is for the end of season one. Like that is how you fucking end a season. It was so good. I am gagging for season two. Season two has been officially renewed. So I'm so excited. But oh my good God, please watch Tell Me Lies. It is amazing. It is, oh my, the best fucking show I've watched this year. I love it so, so much. Another show that I love an insane amount is The Sex Lives of College Girls. It's a HBO Max show. But if you're in the UK, you can watch it on ITV Hub. And it is just amazing. I feel like that's what Grownish really should have been like. I did love Grownish with Yara Shahidi and Chloe and Halle Bailey, but it was just like very like, blah, you know, like I watched it because I watched Blackish and Grownish is the spinoff of Blackish, but The Sex Lives of College Girls is so good. It gives you every single portrayal of people's university slash college experiences in such an amazing way. And I am also in love with Renee Rapp. So thank you. Yes, go and watch it. Then we have Bad Sisters and Ted Lasso, which are both Apple TV originals. And I'm actually not too sure if Ted Lasso came out this year, but I definitely watched it this year. Um, I know Bad Sisters came out this year and they are both amazing. Apple TV has like some really good gems on there. Bad Sisters basically follows a group of sisters who are involved in the murder of one of their sister's husbands. Well, not that they have multiple husbands. I hope that made sense. I'm not going to explain that again. Anyway, it's this Irish TV show. Um, and every episode you think you figure out who killed the guy and you, you will never know. Like you just, every time you think you have an answer, it's just not that person. It's proved wrong or something comes up or like whatever. It's just amazing. It's a whodunit TV show basically. And it's so, so good. And Ted Lasso is just the most heartwarming thing ever. I mean, I know Jason Sudeikis has had his drama filled limelight this year, but if we can look aside um, and put that away for a bit, you will really enjoy Ted Lasso. It's about an American who comes to the UK to work for Richmond FC, which I thought was very, like, bizarre, like, Richmond out of all places in London. Um, but, yeah, it's about how he kind of integrates into the UK culture of football and has very different to America, and, you know, you can't call it soccer. And he was brought there because... He was brought to Richmond FC, basically, because the person that hired him was trying to, like, prove a point and be 
nasty to her ex-husband but turns out that he's actually a great guy and that's like a really nice redeeming quality about the show and the relationships in the show are so sweet and wholesome and I can't wait for season two like I'm so fucking pumped then we have Firefly Lane season two and White Lotus season two and I clump these together not because they're similar in any way but just because I'm like strictly talking about the new season as opposed to the previous seasons which didn't come out this year but Firefly Lane season two if you've watched it then you know what the actual fuck? What the actual fuck? Like, my heart, please. It cannot take that. It's, oh my god, it's got Katherine Heigl in it. And, you know, as a Grey's Anatomy fan, I will say that I do believe that Firefly Lane is Katherine Heigl's best performance. It's so, so heartbreaking. It basically follows this 30-year friendship between two best friends who grew up together, and they have been through absolutely everything together. Like, they are not friends, they are sisters. Like, they are family. And, the end of season two just gives you the ending I was not expecting. Okay. I was, I did not think it would go that way because season one, I'm not going to be like spoiler alert again because season one came out fucking forever ago. So it's not my fault if you haven't watched it, but feel free to skip ahead. But yeah, season one ended with the implication that they were no longer friends. And I thought it was just like clickbait. I was like, yeah, yeah, right. Like Tully and Kate are obviously friends. And then season two, I'm like, holy shit, they're actually not friends. Like, oh my god, and it goes into that. I mean, there's still flashbacks and stuff, like in season one, where they're, like, fine, but the ending of season two, like, bring your fucking tissues out, babe, because no amount of antidepressants are going to stop you from crying at that. And White Lotus season two, like, I honestly never know what's going on with that TV show. I watch it for the vibes. I watch it for the funny. Um, I think Hayley Lou Richardson's character in season two is so funny. She's, like, the joke of social media right now, because why the fuck does she dress the way she dresses? But so good it's got Megan Fahey in it and like I love her from the bold type and she's amazing um and it's got that guy from Divergent can't remember his name but very hot cast also it has Aubrey Plaza how could I forget um but yeah I'm loving season two of White Lotus and if you're in the UK it's on now TV because I know a lot of people are like how do you watch all these things I pay a lot of money for subscription services I know it's not I'm not proud of it but I don't like waiting so yeah and then the last TV show that I will talk about is Wednesday, the new Netflix um, TV show about the Adams Family. It's amazing. It has Jenna Ortega and Catherine Zeta-Jones and Christina Ritchie. And is that how you say her name? Christina Ritchie? Ricky? Anyway, she was like the original Wednesday. I've never watched the Adams Family. So I'm talking like I'm the biggest Adams Family fan. I've never watched it. But... I loved Wednesday. I love Jenna Ortega. I cannot wait to see her blow up. I know that she's like Netflix's it girl right now, but she's so fucking talented. Like so insanely talented. I watched her in, is it The Babysitter? And I thought she was so good in that. She was in You. She was in Jane the Virgin. Like I cannot believe like how much she's done at the age of 20, but she is a gem and I cannot wait to see what else she's going to be in. Um, but yeah, watch Wednesday. It's so, so good. You can binge watch it in literally a fucking day. Like, it's so good. Okay, this section is not going to be specifically based on 2022 releases, just because, like, I feel like with books, it's very different. You know, when you go through books, you don't really, like, read them because they came out that year. Even though I did read, like, some books that came out this year, I'm going to go through the books that I have read this year, and not all of them came out in 2022. So I've read 33 books this year, which I am kind of bummed about because I set my goal to be 40 books for the year. I mean, potentially I could read seven books before the end of the year, but like, 
I don't know if I can be bothered. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've read 33 books this year. I'm currently reading When Kate Met Cassidy, I believe it's called. Um, so let's say like 33 and a half, but I'm going to go through all the books I read this year and give you my thoughts, opinions, recommendations, because I think I've read a lot of books that have had a lot of TikTok fame and I want to give my two cents on them. So started my year by reading Other People's Clothes by Carla Henkel. And I really, really enjoyed this book. I said as soon as I read it, like I shouldn't have started the year with such a fucking good book because it's going to be really hard for every other book to compete. The book has a very unique sense of humor. I would say it's like a very British sense of humor, even though it's about Americans. And it basically explores the intensity of female relationships and female friendships and millennials navigating life through different cities and the sort of lengths that we will go to to justify things that we feel and yeah it's just super unique and I really really love it and I like that it's a psychological thriller as well as like a coming of age novel um so I would recommend that book the next book I read at the beginning of the year was it ends with us and if you know me you know I love this book it's a great book to cry to it's soul-destroying and heartbreaking, and I was heaving with snot pouring out of my nose when I read this book. I read it in a day, and when people said they cried, I did not realise that they cried this much, because that book is so, so heartbreaking. But because I read It Ends With Us, I did go into a bit of a Colleen Hoover rabbit hole for the rest of the year. So I read Ugly Love, which is not one of my favourite Colleen Hoover books, but um, I just think... I like the story, but then I feel like the ending was very abrupt and I hate when an ending ruins the rest of the book, if I enjoyed the book. Um, but yeah, Colleen Hoover does love. So all the books I talk about from Colleen Hoover are like love books, romance books. Next, I read November 9th, also by Colleen Hoover. I always say this, I'm like, it's incredibly unrealistic and I know it's fiction, but like, come on. Um, but it's sweet. She has this way of like writing books that keep you captivated even if it's not like your favorite book I don't know I think that's such a skill I could only dream of being a writer that talented because I read All Your Perfects as well which is also by Colleen Hoover this year and like I fucking hated that book but I read it in one sitting like it's so bizarre like she can just write so well and I think that's an amazing admirable skill Reminders of Him was another Colleen Hoover book I read this year and I would say that's like up there with one of my like top Colleen Hoover books. It's really, really sad. <laughs> I mean, I saw a review the other day that was like, I can't believe she fucked her ex, her dead ex-boyfriend's best friend or something like that. And like, it is bizarre in that way. And like Colleen Hoover does really write about like fucking weird situations in romance, but it's a good book to read if you, if you want to feel something. And then the last, no, not the last Clean Hoover book I read, but the last Clean Hoover book I read at the beginning of the year was Verity, which I think is her best book. It's a romance, a psychological horror. It's, it's got it all. It's, it's really well done. And I like that the ending is very open-ended. No one actually knows what happened or what the truth is. I know that they've released a new edition with an extra chapter, but then I've had a lot of people say that you don't actually get any answers. And since the new edition is in hardback, I will not be purchasing it because I'm not buying a book that's over £10. So, yeah. And then I read People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry, and I did not like this book. I love Emily Henry. I think she's a phenomenal writer, but like, I did not like People We Meet on Vacation. But then I did read Book Lovers by Emily Henry, which is one of my favourite reads of the year. Um, 
Yeah, there's just so much to love about book lovers. Nora and, yeah, Nora and Charlie are my favorite fictional romance couple. Like, I, wow, like, I just love them. I relate to Nora so much. She's a Peloton girly, I'm a Soul Cycle girly, but she is me. Like, she is me. And I fucking loved that book. It was just so nice to, like, read about people who kind of isolate themselves and put everyone else before their own happiness. It was nice to see them get their happy ending. And yeah, it was really heartwarming. Then I read You Exist Too Much. Um, and I basically say that this book is like the no plot, just vibe story that more people should read because a lot of people love My Year of Rest and Relaxation and all these no plot, just vibe stories, but they're always about rich white people and You Exist Too Much is not. It's about people of colour and their real life. And I... Yeah, I really appreciate that and I really like that book. Then I read Funny You Should Ask by Alyssa Sussman, which is a fangirl's best dream come true. Um, yeah, it's basically about a journalist who interviews a guy that she's like in love with, um, but like parasocially in love with, and then actually falls in love with. And yeah, if you're on Stan Twister, then you know that is the goal. Then I read Love and Other Words by Christina Lauren, and I've realised that I don't really like Christina Lauren's work. Um... Love and Other Words was cute, but I didn't like the ending. It was just so extremely rushed after the first half of the book dragged the fuck out. And I was like, oh my god, this book is so overhyped. And most of the books I read this year are a tad overhyped, to be fair. Like, the next book I read was The Love Hypothesis, and I won't even get into that, but it was, like, incredibly cheesy. And, I mean, I fucking hate the front cover of the book like so much and I hate the layout I fucking hate when people have like a million fonts in their book like please can we just do like times roman or fucking Arial or something I don't want all this cursive shit like it makes me feel like a fucking kid I hate it so much um then I read I kiss Sarah Wheeler I really enjoyed reading I kiss Sarah Wheeler it's a book about religious trauma and the impact it can have on sexuality and yeah, it's amazing. It was, it's a book I wish I read when I was in school because I went to a Catholic school where, you know, sexuality wasn't really something that you could ever really speak about openly. And um, yeah, I really, I really liked this book. It felt like a massive hug to anyone that had to hide who they were. But also it felt like a massive hug to anyone who rebelled and was openly and proudly themselves. And I think those are both things that we should talk about. It's not one or the other. It's a multitude of things you can feel when you're in a institution that makes you suppress how you feel and who you are. Um, yeah, it's a very, very special book and I'm, I'm so glad I read it this year. Then I read The Spanish Love Deception. All I'm going to say about that book is, yeah, read it at your own risk. If you want to read about someone using an expired condom, then fucking go for it. <laughs> um, then I read I Want to Die, but I Want to Eat Tabaki, uh, which is a book which is basically a, a transcript of a therapist and her patient. And I say that this is, you know, for the depressed girls, it's, it's amazing. I, yeah, I rarely read books that are nonfiction in that way. Um, I read nonfiction in terms of like politics and feminism, but to read something so raw and so true is, is very, out there for me. Um, and it was amazing. Yeah, I really enjoyed that book. Then I read The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. Um, this book is incredibly, incredibly talked about online. And I could never find it in the UK anywhere. Um, I still go and check foils and waterstones and stuff like that. 
to see what the situation was with that book. And apparently it's coming out next year in the UK, which is weird. But I got mine on Blackwells. So if you're not in the US, you can get it in Blackwells. But basically just follows Addie LaRue and she doesn't like the life that she's living and she makes a deal with the devil and in turn it means that nobody remembers who she is. Um, And so you travel with her through the hundreds of years that she lives through her life, going to different cities, different places, meeting new people. And yeah, it's really interesting. I think that it teaches you a lot about the human experience and how we interact with people. And like one of my favorite quotes from the book is, um, but humans are messy loop. That is the wonder of them. They live and love and make mistakes and they feel so much. And I think that's, that is like the epitome of what we are as humans. And yeah, it's quite a long winded book. Um, I think there are a lot of chapters that aren't really necessary to the plot of the story, but it was a really good read. Next book I read was None of This Is Serious, and I fucking hated this book. Like, I'm not even going to explain to you what it's about, because it's fucking awful. Don't read it. (laughs) Then I read Things We Never Got Over, which is apparently the beginning of a series now, so I'm very excited for the next one to get released or, like, announced when the release date is. That wasn't even fucking English, Mary. Listen to me. It's 9am, okay? Just let me live. Um, but it's very smutty. If you love a smutty book and if you love a, if you love the trope of he's a, like, bitch to everyone else, but really nice to the love interest, then that book is probably for you. But I will say it's like very toxic masculinity vibes. Like, it's kind of scary, but like I said, I love smut. So I can look past that. Um, The Lies You Told by Harriet Tice. I love Harriet Tice. I think she is an amazing author. She, similar to Clean Hoover, has a way of writing books that just keeps you entirely captivated. However, the difference being that I do actually enjoy all of Harriet Tice's books. Um, or two. I don't know why I said all, like she's got a fucking library full. But yeah, I read Blood Orange a couple years back, which was her debut novel, I believe, and I absolutely loved it. So as soon as I saw The Lies You Told, I was like, bitch, you're coming home with me. And yeah, adored it. Then Carrie Soto is back. The new Taylor Jenkins Reid book came out this year and I read it the day it came out and finished it the day it came out. I have never cared for tennis, but that book made me care about tennis. Like she is such a gifted writer, has never written anything bad in her life. And yeah, I mean, if you've read any other Taylor Jenkins Reid book like The Seven Husbands or Daisy Jones and the Six, Malibu Rising, you'll love Carrie Soto is back because she has this way of like writing about characters that you probably won't come across in your everyday life if you're a normal person, you know, like I've never met anyone like the characters that she writes, but I'm so invested and I love them and I love their flaws. And I think that's another big thing with her. Like she really does write about flaws as if they're things that we should learn to love and accept. And they are. And so I think that's why her books are so successful because she writes about them in a way where you know, you can relate and you're not made to feel ashamed for relating. And I love that. Next, I read How to Kill Your Family by Bella Mackie. And I've seen very mixed reviews about this book. I mean, the title literally says what it is. Like, it's about a girl who kills her family. Like, I can't explain it anymore. But I will say the ending is so fucking annoying. And you probably realise now that I complain about endings a lot. But like, if you've written such a good book, why do you rush the ending? Like, listen, I know you've got deadlines and shit, but like, just come on, let's not do that. Um, But I do also think that with this book, a lot of people who said they didn't like it like aren't that familiar with London and I found it very funny because I was born and raised in London and so the way that she talks about this city is very funny to me um so yeah maybe if you're a Londoner give it a read but I don't know I'm not telling you to read or watch or do anything but I'm just letting you know my suggestions for the year (laughs) then I read Crying in H Mart and I just want to say this is for the first gen kids okay my first generation kids 
this one is for you. It's such a hug to us because I remember growing up and like not really understanding English culture in terms of love language because for me, like food is a love language in my house. Um, my mom always makes me food and brings it to my room and like cuts up fruit and stuff like that. And it wasn't until I was a lot older that I realized that that was a non-white way of showing love. Um, so reading Crying in H Mart and reading about how food was such a monumental part of her relationship with her mother as a first generation kid was so nice. And I am so, so happy that there are books receiving this level of hype and attraction that aren't about like white Western lives because the rest of us do exist in case anyone forgot. And it's really nice to feel seen. And that book is really special. Then I read Girls They Write Songs About, did not fucking like it, do not give a shit about white feminism. <laughs> um, then I read A Million Kisses in Your Lifetime. And I do think this book is really cute, but I also think I would have preferred to have read it when I was like 17 because I don't want to read about 18 year olds having sex. It just doesn't really sit right with my soul. Um, and this book is very smutty. So I'd say maybe if you're like under the age of 20, read it, but mm, it's a bit uncomfortable reading that at 24. Then I read The Secret Lives of Church Ladies, which is a bunch of short stories that explore sexuality and religious trauma and organized religion and identity. And I'm not really the biggest fan of short stories, but this book is worth it. Then I read The Unhoneymooners by Christina Lauren. And as I said at the beginning of this list, discovered this year that I don't really like Christina Lauren's work. But The Unhoneymooners is just incredibly overrated. Like, couldn't actually give a shit about it. It was, like, a decent read. It was an easy read. Got through it very easily. But I just don't care. Like, it was so weird. Like, I don't know why it was set up like that. And I hate saying it, but, like, gaslighting in that book was yikes. Then a book that did come out this year um, was It Starts With Us by Colleen Hoover. And I did start this list by saying how much I loved It Ends With Us, which is the prequel to this book. I did not like It Starts With Us. It Just like I felt about Disenchanted, it was just unnecessary. Like, just leave it at the first book. Like, unless you have something groundbreaking to add to it, don't do it. And I know Colleen Hoover was like, they deserve, like, a light book. It's not going to be as dark and gloomy as the first one. But I'm like, well, we've already been set up with the misery of their life. So, yeah, I am fucking expecting, like, depression and tears. But that's not what I got. Then I read Archer's Voice. Great book. Very unique story. Um, Just, again, the ending was very rushed. But I've actually never read a romance book that's like that. And so I appreciate that refreshing take. Then I read Twisted Love, which is the first ser the first book in the series of Twisted books. Um, and, you know, I'm a bit ashamed about how much I love that book. Um, it's, it's basically the trope of he's a bitch to everyone else, but he's nice to me. And I don't normally like that trope, but I fucking gobbled that up. Like, I loved it so much. Then I read The Dead Romantics, which, ah, one of the best reads of this year. It's amazing. It's, wow, it's such a breathtaking book. And it's not like overly emotional. I cried towards the end just because I was like, oh my God, she's just like me for real. But no, it's basically about a ghost writer who can also speak to ghosts. And that's like such a weird way to sell the book because like that is what it's about, but it's so much more than that. It's so, so wholesome and so unique. And I loved it. And then I read Today, Tonight, Tomorrow, um, which is also about high schoolers. And I don't really, yeah, I don't like reading about teenagers, but it's so sweet. And I think that if you're like me or like the protagonist in that book and you kind of grew up reading romance 
and watching romance and like creating these idealized versions of romance in your head it's like so nice to actually see like I don't know I kind of saw it as like a younger version of myself like getting the romance story she wanted and it was yeah it was really really nice to read that and then I read Normal People which I did not like (laughs) so I did say I talk about podcasts that I love and you guys need to know that like I am a YouTube girly first and foremost like I don't really watch it as much anymore but like I'm a YouTube girly so all my podcasts are YouTubers basically. <laughs> so the first podcast that I listen to like religiously as soon as I see that it's dropped on Spotify like I listen to that immediately is Violating Community Guidelines with Sarah Shower and Brittany Broski. I love them both so much. I think they're so funny and I love the conversations they have. I feel like I'm just like sat with a group of friends and we're having a cool conversation. They they really like have found the balance of seriousness and humor and it's great. <laughs> um I also listen to This Might Get Weird. Um, by Grace Helberg and Mamrie Hart purely because they raised me. They were the first YouTubers I ever watched and I've met them both and they are like the sweetest people in the world. Um, And yeah, I listen to their podcast and it just makes me feel 13 again because I literally grew up with them. So love that podcast. Um, And I listen to Only Friends with Carly and Erin. I was going to say their last names, but I can't remember their last names. But like, they used to be a part of the vlog squad. I don't, like, listen, I don't know what the fucking drama is between, like, David Dobrik and everyone else, but I know that he did some fucked up shit and, like, Carly and Erin really, like, rebranded and distanced themselves. Um, and I have big respect for them for that. And I love their podcast. I think it's so funny. I used to listen to the Goop podcast a lot more than I do now. Um, but, like, every now and then I'll listen to a new episode of Goop and I'm like, oh, I fucking love Gwyneth Paltrow. Like, I really do. Um, and I also listen to the Dumois podcast because that's where I get my pop culture from. Uh, I think Dumois is fucking hilarious. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's like in real life Gossip Girl. So I fucking gobble that shit up. I love Dumois. And then finally, the last segment of the 2022 bops and flops is the new music of the year. Um, so there has been like really good music drops this year. We'll start with the 1975 being funny in a foreign language. I haven't really listened to the 1975 as much as I have since this album came out because I mean I went to see them live when I was 16 17 maybe at Reading Festival and this was like prior to them being as big as they are now like they weren't even headlining I think they were on like the Radio 1 stage or something which is like a small stage it's not the main stage um and I saw them performing there and I was like oh my god I fucking love chocolate like yeah, it was that era of the 1975. And then I used to see Matty Healy in Soho all the time. But I, I don't know, like, I just wasn't really like obsessed with them enough to be like, oh my God, Matty Healy, like, can I get a picture? Which I kind of regret now. Um, but still, I never actually ask celebrities for pictures because I just like, I have one picture of Demi Lovato that makes me want to kill myself every single day. So I, <laughs> I don't ask. Um, but being funny in a foreign language, I love... Um, I think my favourite songs on the album are I'm In Love With You, All I Need To Hear, and Human Too. They're just like very raw, very 1975. I do think this album is a little more poppy than their other albums, but love it, love it. Arctic Monkeys. Listen, this one hurts me to say because I have been an Arctic Monkeys fan since the release of AM. Like, I really did spend my teens devoted to that band, and I saw them live the day before my birthday, 
which was also the week before I started university and like moved away from home for the first time. So I really do associate them with like, you know, good memories. Um, apart from the fact that like the guy that took my virginity, like kind of fucked them up for me for a bit, which is annoying. Ugh, never date someone who plays the guitar, but actually did I just say date? We did not date. Fuck me. Also, I know he like listens to my socials and shit like that. So yeah, get out of your fucking head. Uh, that was slip of the tongue. We did not date. We just slept with each other for a while. Um, yeah, he, he fucked up the Arctic Monkeys for me for a bit, but I got over that. I got over that immediately because the Arctic Monkeys and Alex Turner are so much better than some trashy white boy from South London. But anyway, um, yeah, the most recent album didn't really do it for me. And that, that really hurts me to say. But also, I feel like maybe it's a defense mechanism because they decided to tour on the exact same day as Harry Styles. And I had already bought my Harry Styles ticket. So I was like, you know what? Maybe I won't enjoy your new album. And then I won't be so fucking sad. Talking of Harry Styles, though, Harry's House came out this year. And I saw Harry Styles live this year. So, yeah. Love that. Love Harry's House. My favorite song on the album is Matilda, even though on my Spotify wrapped. My most played Harry Styles song was As It Was, and I definitely haven't listened to that song that much, but Matilda, Little Freak, Satellite, Love of My Life, those are my, those are my goats on that album. Um, what else came out this year? Taylor Swift. <laughs> God, that sounds like she just came out as gay. No, um, Taylor Swift had a lot of new music this year, obviously with her re-recordings and stuff, um, but I will say Midnight's is like, I love Midnight's. I think it's an amazing album. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what else to say about Midnight's cause we'll get onto the next album, but my little bridge between these two albums, between Midnight's and SOS, which is Scissor's new album, is that Phoebe Bridges seems to be like the only female who can get a full verse on anyone's like collabs. And for that, I fucking stand. Like I do think that that now means that I am never, ever, ever, ever going to get a £30 ticket to see Phoebe Bridges again. And so I will pride myself on that. And you know those annoying people who are like, bah, 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 how long have you been a fan? Yeah, I'm going to be that fucking bitch. Because I know that Phoebe Bridges is going to blow up even more than she has now. And she's never going to do Brixton Academy again. And she's never going to do small gigs again. And I'm going to have to pay like £150 to see her life, which I will do. But I'm going to be the one who was like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. when was your first Phoebe Bridges tour and how much did you pay? Because... I'm on my high horse. Anyway, not that Phoebe Bridges was on Midnight's, but Lana Del Rey was, and I still cannot hear her in Snow on the Beach. Anyway, next album, SOS by Scissor. She came back. So return of Scissor, babe. Call your therapist, get her on speed dial. Phoebe Bridges and Scissor have a song together, which is a collaboration I never thought I'd see. It's called Ghost in the Machine. I fucking love it. I think it's amazing. It's my favorite song on the album. I love it so much. Um... I will say, though, that Phoebe Bridges did release a new song this year for the TV show adaptation of Conversations with Friends, which is another Sally Rooney book that I will not read. Uh, I've tried to read it maybe 10 times, not reading it. Um, but yeah, Sidelines came out this year. That was my second most played song on my Spotify wrapped. Absolutely love Sidelines. I'm considering getting a seashell tattoo in honour of that song. But I do actually have a Soul Teens tattoo in honour of Graceland too, which is another Phoebe Bridges song. So I'm like, I don't really want to just get a bunch of dainty tattoos. And then when people are like, oh my god, what's this for? I'm like, oh, uh, obsessed with Phoebe Bridges. How about that? <laughs> but yeah, those are my 2022 bops and flops. I feel like there were way more bops and flops. Um, but I would have written a Substack post about this, but as you can see, I've been talking for a fucking lifetime, so that would have broken my finger or something if I wrote about it. 
But I hope you enjoyed. That was basically an insight to what my brain's been doing this year. I've been consuming a lot of media and I'm really happy about it actually because when I first started my antidepressants, I like completely lost interest in watching anything. And so it's nice to have that back. And I am truly a fan of escapism. I do everything in my power to escape my silly little brain and my silly little life. So yeah, hope you enjoyed all of that. And if you like found some new recommendations, let me know if you watch them, listen to them, read them, whatever. Um, but the year is nearly over, girly pops. Cannot wait to see what next year fucking holds for us.